Dear people of God, uh, you who are called the, the friends of Christ, if you've not done so already, I ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, we'll be looking at verses um, 10 through 17 for our sermon text tonight. Uh, if you're using the Pew Bible, it'll be on page 996. Uh, if you will indulge me, uh, let me just say thank you so much for your prayers. I am aware that many of you have, uh, you, many of you have told me that you have been praying for me, and uh, prayer is a powerful thing, and it, and it deeply moves me to know that uh, the people of God are praying for me. Uh, but secondly, uh, we know that uh, the scriptures are wa- as they are weighty; uh, they are weighty matter, and the the man, uh, men cannot understand the things of God without the help of the Holy Spirit. So I ask you to come with me in prayer once more before we read the scriptures and ask the Holy Spirit's help to understand. So please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, you have given us this great word. You have given us this word that is sufficient for our salvation, for it delivers to us Christ and Him crucified and Him dying in our place if we would but trust in Him and cling to Him alone for our salvation. Father, I pray tonight that I would speak clearly and that your church would be edified with the words of the gospel. Father, we pray all these things and we pray them in the name of Christ. Amen. Please listen now as I read the words, the very words of God to us this evening. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. You, that is Timothy, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings, that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good work. This is the reading of God's Word, and the grass withers and the flower fades, but these words will stand forever. Last words are are important. Uh, We remember last words, and history loves to record the last words of great men. Uh, General Robert E. Lee, the general of the Army of Northern Virginia, his last words were directed towards his troops uh, on on his deathbed. His last order was, strike the tent. Uh, This order was given when the camp would gather everything up and they would be moving from one place of living to another place of living. uh, Lee's words were uttered in faith because he believed he was moving from this world uh, to the next. General Thomas, affectionately known by his troops as Stonewall, Jackson's last words were also a series of orders to his troops. And he sought to guide them. Uh, Even on his dying bed, he said, Let us cross over and rest under the shade of the trees. The last words of great men stick with us. And like these two generals, the last words of the Apostle Paul are directed towards his followers. 
towards those whom he loves. Uh, and he, these words are directed towards Timothy in our passage tonight. And even as Paul is facing his own death, his own execution, his love for Timothy is so much that he is, he is still leading him. He's still guiding him in the faith, even in this last epistle. He's still wanting to warn Timothy of the false prophets he will encounter. He's still commanding Timothy to fly the flag of Christ, that is to live a pious life, a holy life unto the Lord. Paul is still working hard for Timothy as he's constantly remembering him in prayer, even as he said in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. Paul is remembering Timothy, reminding Timothy of their great mutual master and commander, that is Jesus Christ. He's saying, this is our campaign, Timothy, to live as Christian men who are not afraid to preach the gospel in season and out of season. And in our particular passage tonight, we will see three things, three things that Paul says to Timothy. And in these three things, we will see Timothy, uh, Paul's heart, Paul's heart for Timothy, how he's aching for him, aching to see him do well as a son in the faith. He wants the best for Timothy, uh, like a parent wants for their child. And he is grieved that he cannot see Timothy grow in the faith. But he writes in this letter at the end of his life to give Timothy an inheritance, an inheritance that is worthy of a king. He wants to see Timothy wear an eternal crown of glory. So let us see the first thing that Paul says to Timothy in verses 10 through 13. The first thing is a life of piety, a life of piety. Paul is reflecting on his own life here, and he's calling Timothy to imitate him to use his own life, Paul's life, as a model. He's reminding Timothy of where he has been in his ministry. And he's reminding Timothy of things that he already knows. And he's like a parent, reminding his child of things the son perhaps has already heard, but maybe he needs to hear again. Uh, husbands, perhaps from time to time, your wife will ask you uh, to, tell, to tell her that you love her. And I'm sure that you have told her, uh, but you tell her again because she needs to hear it. Well, Paul is telling, telling Timothy things he already knows. Timothy already knows the gospel, but he needs to hear it again. And let's notice the full weight of what Paul is doing here. Paul is saying, Timothy, you can learn from me, from my example. Paul is saying he's lived a life worthy of imitating. He's saying he has loved the Lord with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he gives Timothy a list. And notice that list with me in verses 10 and 11. And notice all the mys in this list. Paul says, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. Now, remember with me that Timothy was converted by Paul's own ministry, by his preaching at Lystra. Timothy had gone with Paul in his travels. So this list would have stirred up in his mind all those memories all the memories of the sweet time in his early years following Christ. Paul's reminding Timothy of his teaching. He says, don't you remember, Timothy, when I was with you preaching the gospel? Paul would repeatedly enter a town, and he said this of himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I decided to know nothing among you but Christ and Him crucified. Paul's only teaching was Christ. His death on the cross, His atonement for sins, and His resurrection from the dead. Paul is stirring up Timothy to remember the glory of the cross and to press on. Remember the reason why we love our Savior. Paul's also reminding Timothy of his own conduct, how he conducted himself. That is, 
Paul's life was a consecrated life. Paul did not turn aside to the right or to the left. He was like a soldier who pursued the gospel, a gospel life. And he did not get distracted by a civilian life. He was like an athlete running on the track who ignores everything but the finish line. Paul refused all honor in life. In Lystra, in Acts chapter 14, when the people wanted to worship Paul because of his words, uh, and Barnabas also, Paul was furious. No one could receive worship but Christ. No one could receive honor but his Lord. And his conduct was gentle. It was meek. It was persuasive and loving. Paul worked hard when he was in a town not to be a burden to the church at tent making. And everything Paul's conduct was backing up his message. His life was his witness. And he's calling Timothy to follow in his footsteps, to act like him, to speak like him, to pray like him. But next, what was, what was Paul's aim? What was his aim in life? Well, his purpose was to make Christ known, uh, to bring glory to Christ's name. He wanted to be, uh, in a sense, like John the Baptist. He wanted uh, to decrease so that Christ would increase. His purpose was so driven that when the Jews came and stoned him in, in Acts uh, 14 again, he went back. He went back to the same city that wanted to kill him. His aim in life was accurate and precise. But what was Paul's faith? Paul's faith was an unshakable trust in the Lord for his life, for his salvation. His faith was a faith that produced works. It was not dead. He trusted in the Lord for his life. Uh, he trusted his hands into the Lord all of his days. After being shipwrecked many times, I'm sure he had to have an extra boost of faith every time he came near the water or stepped on a boat. But what was Paul's long-suffering? What was his patience? Surely we can see his patience in his letters to the Corinthian church or in his, in his teaching, the Thessalonian church, a, th a church that had only had three weeks to learn all of Christianity. And Paul is patiently teaching them in these letters the things of God, the things that they need to know. Or what about his loving farewell to the elders at Ephesus in Acts 20, how he constantly remembers them also in his prayers? And with this also, do we not see Paul's love? Paul's love in his letters to the churches of, uh, in the, in the Philippine, uh, of Philippia. Excuse me. Paul confesses that he never ceases to pray for these people. They are always on his mind like our children are on our minds. And Paul's endurance is, was his steadfastness, his steadfastness under trials of various kinds. It was his bearing up under, under the thorn in his flesh after he prayed many times to the Lord to have it removed. But after praying many times, the Lord's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. That is, my grace will give you the strength to endure. And then Paul ends his list with, my persecutions and my sufferings. And can we not see that in, in 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul is defending his apostleship against false teachers. And he reminds us of his history, how he was beaten five times by the Jews beaten another three times with rods, stoned, shipwrecked many times, and endured in dangers from all sides. And Paul again reminds us of, of Antioch, of Iconium and Lystra, these places where Timothy grew up. Timothy probably knew the people who threw the rocks, the stones at Timothy, I mean at Paul. And even though Paul was persecuted in these places, he did not lose his faith. Because look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. Yet... From all these dangers, all these persecutions, these toils and snares, 
The Lord rescued me. The Lord was my rock and my salvation. See, right here, Paul is putting his life before Timothy and reminding him that persecutions will happen to Christians, especially Christian ministers. He says, if you want to be a man of God, Timothy, then look at my example and prepare yourself for the fight. But more than just Paul and Timothy, more than just ministers, notice verse 12. Notice that Paul says, all, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, Paul is not being pessimistic here. He's not trying to dissuade you, uh, turn you away from the gospel. But this is a promise that we are given from Jesus himself. In uh, John chapter 15, Jesus says, If the world hates you, then know it's hated me first. Perhaps you are suffering right now. Perhaps your life is not perfect. Perhaps you have even lost friends for the gospel. Perhaps you are looked down upon for setting aside your Sundays for worship, and people don't understand you as a Christian. Perhaps you have been called backwards and, and bigoted, intolerant and unloving by the world. Perhaps the devil is coming to you even now, whispering thoughts uh, into your mind's ear. Perhaps he's accusing you of sin and guilt. Perhaps there's even some sin in your life that is besetting you, and Satan is just rubbing your face in it. Well, then I want, to, I want to comfort you with these words. I hope to you, that you can see that you truly are a Christian if you share in Christ's sufferings. Now, many of us do suffer because of the, our own foolishness, because of our own sin. But if we suffer as Christians, then this is a reason to rejoice because we are counted worthy of suffering uh, in the sufferings of Christ. Now, now, let me ask you, when the world looks at you, does the world hate you too because when they look at you, they see Christ? This world is not our home. Our hope is not here. Notice, notice verse 13. Notice that the wicked will always be here in this life. Uh, the wicked will go on from being bad to worse. Our hope is not in this world. But we see Paul. Paul is not sticking his head in the sand over this. He's not being unrealistic about the evil in this world. And neither should we. Paul is not, but Paul is not letting this distract him from the glories of Christ. Paul is rather giving Timothy a model of how to be faithful through the suffering. Paul's first gift to Timothy is himself. He's saying, look at my life. See my testimony, how all my desires have been granted in what the Lord has ordained. See how the Lord has rescued me from this danger, that toil, and that snare. See how none of them have separated me from the love of Christ. If you also want to be inspired, then pick up your Bibles and read about Paul. Read about the martyrs, the missionaries, even the quiet, the quiet Christians who lived a faithful life. Some of you here tonight, some of you have walked with the Lord a long time. Some of you have lived a full life of faith, and maybe you even have a testimony like Paul. Maybe you were living in great sin before the Lord snatched you, snatched you out of darkness. Well, I am asking you here tonight that you would consider yourself a model of faith to us younger Christians. We are looking to you as for we are looking to you for a model of how to live as becomes a Christian. We are watching for how the Lord is being faithful to you. So do not keep your testimonies to yourself, but tell us and, and younger Christians, covenant children, are we looking to the models of faith that God has given us? Are we humbling ourselves and being teachable? 
Are we asking for advice and, and then doing it? Do we desire to follow in the footsteps of men and women who have walked with God? Well, Paul has lived a life of piety. He has lived before the Lord, and may we be like Timothy and imitate Paul with complete obedience to our dear Savior. But I ask you to secondly see with me, let's secondly see a call to piety. We've seen a life of piety. Now in verses 14 and 15, you see Paul give a call to Timothy. Paul's goal in this letter is to take care of Timothy, his child in the faith. He wants to make sure that he will be all right, that he'll make it to the end. And he gives Timothy this call so that he might, he might be assured, he might be assured that his calling and election is sure. He has said that there will be many wick, wicked men, there will be many imposters, there will be people like the, the Ravi Zacharias of the world who say that they are Christians, but their lives really have gone from bad to worse. Paul is saying to Timothy, you must be different. You have followed me. You have seen my conduct, my faith, and my sufferings. Now you must continue. Look at verse 14 with me. Paul says, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Now there is a, a lovely doctrine in the Reformed world known as the doctrine of sanctification. This doctrine is precious to us, but, but it is a bit different from justification. Justification is a, a one-time act of God's free grace, whereby we are declared righteous in Christ. All our sins are laid upon Jesus, and we receive pardon. We receive His righteousness. But sanctification is a work. Sanctification is a work of God's free grace. It is a lifelong process. It's a continuous labor that happens every day in the life of the believer. That is, more and more, we are becoming more like Christ. More and more, we are learning obedience to the work of the Holy Spirit. And tied to that is assurance, assurance of our salvation and the perseverance of the saints. And many Christians through the years have been comforted with the knowledge that Jesus is with us, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that what God has begun in us, the good work that he has begun in us, he will see to completion. But allow me to point something out to us this evening. Even though Paul firmly believes that, He's the guy who wrote Romans. He believes in the sovereignty of God and salvation. But Paul commands Timothy to continue. He says, you have a responsibility to continue. There's no letting go and letting God. What Timothy knows about the faith is not enough. All the great things that Timothy has seen Paul do, that's not enough either. The faithfulness of Timothy to follow Paul up until now is not enough. Even though Timothy is a Christian, even though he's in the church, he still has to continue. He has to fight. He has to wrestle to run on in his faith. He has to work at his faith. The gospel comes with imperatives for all of life. And so in verse 14, there are two things, two things that Paul must continue in. He must continue in what he has learned and what he has firmly believed. First, there, there is head knowledge. Paul has understood. He has understood the faith. He's been taught that Christ, that Jesus is the God-man. He knows that God is one God, yet in three persons, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Timothy knows that without faith in Christ, none can be saved. But all that knowledge that is in his head must go to his heart. Timothy must firmly believe it. And the word here is a word for conviction. That is, the truth in his head must go to his heart. All the preaching that Timothy has heard cannot just stay up here 
must touch his innermost being. If his heart were a ship, then the gospel must sink down into the hold. It must reach the keel. It must steer the rudder and raise the flag. It must hold the mast fast and firm as the storm comes and the wind gusts against it. But Paul's not like Nike. He's not giving him a command and say, just do it. He gives two reasons. He gives two reasons to Timothy why he should continue in verses 14 and 15. He tells him in verse 14, continue to hold fast, continue to believe in what you have learned because you know where you learned it from. You know where you learned it from. Now, Paul is referring first to himself. He's reminding Timothy about his own life. He has said, Timothy, look at my life and and see for yourself. You see, Paul knows that a Christian life can either support and shine a wonderful light upon the gospel, or a Christian's life can be a stain on the faith. How many accounts of pastors falling away from the church and destroying a congregation have you heard? How many people have you heard of have been deeply hurt by the church, by people in the church? Perhaps you yourself have been hurt by people who say they are Christians, but their lives are anything but godly. Paul is reminding Timothy that that's not why he's holding on to the gospel. He's reminding Timothy that he's learned of Christ through godly men, men whose hearts were changed, men whose hearts have been taken out, their hearts of stone have been taken out, and they've been reborn, men who have hungered and thirsted after righteousness. But also Paul is referring to uh, Timothy's own mother and grandmother. In chapter 1 of of this book, Paul is longing to see Timothy, and he's longing to be filled with the joy of Timothy's own faith at his growth in Christ. He says, this faith that you have has been passed down to you from your own mother, from Lois, uh, from Eunice, your own mother, and Lois, your grandmother. Paul's reminding Timothy he is a child of the covenant, that his faith has been tested. This is not some myth. It's been passed down from generation to generation. You can trust it. Paul's saying, look at these Christians. Look at how God has been faithful to them. See that our God has been faithful to thousands of those who love him and keep his commandments. But Paul also gives him another reason to continue. Not only is the witness, the witnesses who've given Timothy the gospel, not only are they sure, but also Paul, Timothy is to continue because he knows that the sacred writings are able to make him wise unto salvation. Paul is pointing not to the wisdom of men, but to the power of God for salvation. Paul is giving Timothy a great uh, inheritance that any parent would love to give their children. That is, a hope of eternal life. If you are a parent here today, if you have been blessed with children from the Lord, then truly you are blessed with a great blessing, a great joy. But also, we are blessed with a great responsibility. Our children are given to us by God so that we would, we would nurture them, that we would raise them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Uh, we who have kids have the great responsibility of shepherding their hearts, of leading them in the paths of righteousness. In our going out and our coming in, our example must be an example that they can follow. For you know that your kids will often imitate what you do rather than what you say. But also we must be teaching them, discipling them, raising them up in the Word of God, in the Scriptures. And here at the end of Paul's life, that's what he's giving Timothy. He's giving him a love of the Scriptures. He's leaving Timothy his own life as a model, but he's leaving him with the Holy Word of God. 
He's saying, love the word because it is sufficient. It is enough for your salvation. And this is not at all the advice that the world would give uh, to their children. The world would say that if you just look inside yourself, if you just stay true to your heart and listen to your desires, you can do whatever you want. But Paul is saying, look to the church. Look to the people of God. Continue to watch the older saints. Continue to learn from your spiritual inheritance. Continue to learn from those who have gray hair. Listen to your parents. But also hold fast to the Scriptures. Memorize the Word of God. Plant it in yourself. Plant yourself by it so that you would be like a tree planted by water. And why? Because they are able to make you wise unto salvation. Do not grow weary in this endeavor, but continue. The third thing I would like us to see this evening is the means of piety. The means of piety in verses 16 and 17. Paul has just sounded the charge into battle. He has led the way against the world, the flesh, and the devil. He said, I have lived a life unto the Lord, and he's called Timothy to follow him. But how is Paul able to do that? How is he able to live a life worthy of following? How is he able to flee sin all of his life, all of his Christian life, and follow in the footsteps of his Savior? Or, or what about us? How are we to be able to be faithful when people slander us behind our backs, when we are betrayed by close friends? How are we not to give in to sins of anxiety about our own children, our jobs, our homes, our country, or even our own deaths? Well, the means of Paul's piety is the Holy Scriptures. The Bible was the sword that he carried into battle. The Bible was Paul's confidence. The way Paul stayed the course in his conviction was the power of the, the Word of God. He had faith in his tools. Paul's face was, faith was at the Word of God, which created the heavens and the earth, the seas and all that, that they contain. This Word was sufficient for him. It was enough. In these last days, the Word of God that became flesh was sufficient for Paul. Paul knows that he has come to the end of his tour of duty. He has fought the good fight, and he wants to prepare Timothy for that same fight. And so what greater gift, what greater inheritance could he give Timothy than the Word of God? See verse 16 with me. This well-worn verse has defended our Bibles for centuries. This verse that Paul gives Timothy, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This is a grand view of Scripture. It is totally encompassing. Paul does not believe that some Scriptures are, are just stories. He does not believe that some passages are too hard to understand. He never says that some of the parts of, some parts of the Bible are outdated. A few weeks ago, I was in Piedmont Park in Atlanta, and we had an evangelistic assignment from our seminary. We had a list of questions, and one of those questions was, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? And one young lady, thinking she was very insightful with her question, said, I would ask God if he would explain to me which parts of the Bible were more important than the others. Like, which ones should we still follow? It is quite common among the Christians in this world today to think that way. The world will press the church and accuse us of being backwards, unloving, uncaring in our doctrine and manner towards unbelievers. And in response to that pressure, 
many people in the church, even pastors, have buckled under that pressure. They say some parts of the Bibles are myths or just stories. Some people will say that culture has changed and move on. That some parts of the Bible are, they don't matter to us anymore. They say some parts of the Bible are just a good story, but uh, we can leave that part out. And sometimes, sometimes we can do that too. Sometimes we can be crusaders for Romans, for the sovereignty of God and salvation, for salvation through faith alone, and yet we can forget Corinthians, that love bears all things. Sometimes we can forget Matthew, that we should forgive our brother 70 times 7. We could say that part is not important. But Paul is giving Timothy the whole Bible, and he's presenting all of it to him as the Word of God. There's no picking and choosing what is good for us and what is not. Paul is not the creator, and we are not either. We are not wise to make ourselves, uh, to save ourselves. We are not our own, and we do not get to decide which way we should go, what we get to listen to, and what we get to throw out. And why not? Well, let's examine the text. Why should we listen to all of Scripture? Because all of Scripture is God-breathed. Now, what does this mean? What does this particular phrase mean? What does it mean that is breathed by God? Well, our confession helps us when it says that the Scripture is the Word of God written down by men carried along by the Holy Spirit. In the second chapter of Genesis, as you know, God formed man from the dust of the ground. And then He did what? He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life. That is, God gave man the breath of the Spirit. The same can be found in Exodus chapter 37 where Ezekiel is preaching life into dry bones, and they become alive through the power of the Spirit. Uh, As we've heard about in Sunday school, the word uh, for spirit in both Greek and Hebrew is breath or wind. So when Paul says all Scripture is breathed out by God, he's saying all Scripture is authored and made by the Holy Spirit. All Scripture carries the authority of God, and all Scripture has enabling power that the Holy Spirit gives, the power uh, to give life. All Scripture has the power to make you wise, wise unto salvation. And why is Scripture able to do that? It is because Scripture, all of it, is pointing to Christ. All of Scripture is the Word of Christ. Did you notice that in our first point, Paul is calling Timothy to follow him. But when Paul's calling Timothy to imitate his walk, he's only doing so because Paul is imitating Christ. Christ is the one who suffered the sneering persecution of the world first. Christ was the one who taught uh, first of the gospel. He's the one whose conduct was worthy of running after. Christ's patience and love were displayed to us first before we ever showed love or patience to our neighbors. Do you remember Paul's own history of endurance and steadfastness at Antioch, Lystra, and Iconium? Well, Paul was only fueled by the greater love for Christ, a love that when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Because Christ loved us, Hebrews 12, he set, because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He endured the sufferings. He was patient and long-suffering. His aim in life was true. And now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Do you remember our, our second point? How Timothy was to answer the call to live a pious life even though so many impostors and false teachers were turning away. How is he to do this? It was because he was imitating the richness, the fullness of the faithfulness of Christ, faithfulness of Christ to thousands of those 
who love Him and keep His commandments. Christ endured all the fires of hell. Have, have you ever wondered why the gates of hell cannot stand against the church? It is because the head of the church, Christ, endured all of the hell for us. All of hell could not make Christ stumble. And so how are we to continue in the good fight like Paul commands? Well, it's because Christ Jesus is with us. He abides in us. He will never leave us or forsake us, even to the ends of the age. And even at this last point, how does Christ give Timothy the means to continue, the means to endure and persevere? Well, look again with me at verse 16. Christ gives Timothy the Scriptures, which are breathed out by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to Timothy to teach him. Paul says that God, the God-breathed Word is able to make you wise unto salvation. It is all that is necessary for your faith and practice. Paul knows that Timothy is, is weak. He knows that he is needy. He knows that Timothy will stumble and fall on his way. So he promises that the Scriptures are profitable. They are able for reproving Timothy. When his feet stumble, when they stray away from the paths of righteousness, they are able to be a lamp for his feet, to guide him back. But not only will the Scriptures rebuke Timothy, but they will also correct him. They will lovingly shepherd him back into the narrow the narrow path. The scriptures will be the crook the shepherd uses to bring the wayward sheep back into the flock. And perhaps uh, most preciously to Timothy as a minister, the scriptures will train him in righteousness. That is, the word of God will train Timothy how to be like Christ. The Bible will teach Timothy how to be wise, how to grow in stature, how to grow in knowledge and the fear of the Lord and in favor of both God and man. The Holy Scriptures are the Word of Christ, and they show us our dear Savior. Paul is bestowing upon Timothy the means of our faith. And notice verse 17. Paul says to Timothy, he promises him this, if Timothy will apply himself to the Word, if he will immerse himself in these things, then not only will Timothy be complete, he will also be equipped, equipped to every good work, equipped to bring others into this faithful way. And perhaps... Perhaps your faith is a small flame tonight. Perhaps it is flickering in the wind. Then I encourage you to throw the gasoline of God's Word onto your faith and fan into flames the richness of your love for Christ. We here at Grace have been looking for an associate pastor for some time. And in the weeks ahead, there will be a temptation to, to just be passive. But in the weeks ahead, we have the blessing as we have the blessing of receiving this candidate, we must be praying that he is a man of the Scriptures. We must be actively praying for him that he would be equipped for every good work by clinging to the Scriptures, by being immersed in them himself. There is nothing he will be able to do for us in and of himself. He will only be able to help us by pointing us to Christ, by building us up in the assurance that God loves us, by counseling us in the fear of the Lord from the Word of life. And for the elders... You also must be men of the Scriptures, for you can do no good work unless you are equipped to do so by God. So let us take God at His Word and trust that His Scriptures are sufficient for us. But for those of us who are not pastors, let us learn from our models of faith. Let us see Christ in our elders, in the older women, in the older men, in the older women teaching the younger women how to love their children well. 
and the older men, teaching the younger men how to love their lives with agape love, with self-sacrificing love. If we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, then should we not be a people of the Word? Should we not rise early in the morning to meet the Lord Jesus in His Old and New Testament? Are we not, be, are we not to be a people who delight in meditating on the law of God day and night? Ought we not to hide it in our hearts because we love the voice of our great shepherd? So let me encourage you this evening. If you are like me, then you must confess your slowness to come to read the Word. You find it hard to put away the distractions and the cares of this life. But let me encourage you to look again to this promise of Paul. And let us be encouraged. Let us value these words, these last words of a man who is about to die the great words of a man who loved us, of who directed us as God's people, who led us in battle, a man whose life was poured out in service for the church. Let us follow his teaching and conduct, but let us truly believe in our hearts that when we read God's word, we will be blessed. We will be, we will be blessed by our study and our meditating on what we read, and we will see Christ. Let us believe that when we read our Bibles, we will know our dear Savior better. Please come with me and let's close our time in prayer. Our Father in heaven, truly you are rich in mercy and abounding in good gifts. And truly you have given us wonderful, wonderful gifts to the church. For you have given us a great cloud of witnesses. They bear witness to the testimony that Jesus Christ is a good master. He is good to us because he has gone before us. He has pioneered the way. Uh, of a righteous life. We thank you that we can always look to Christ uh, to, to know how we can please God. We thank you that uh, our lives are bound up in Christ so that we receive His righteousness. We thank you that every time we read the Word of God, we know our, our Savior better. Father, we pray that we would be committed to the Scriptures, and we pray that we would be made wise unto salvation through them, uh, even as you have promised. Um, but Father, we pray all these things in the matchless name of Christ. Amen.